Welcome to Universal Joint Podcast. I'm entertainer writer Jim Hill and my co-host Dustin Fuse and I are recording this podcast on Saturday, July 4th, 2020. Uh, folks, it's been about six weeks since our last show and I want to be clear here, that is my fault, not Dustin's. To banish this COVID-19 situation, took a hard left back in early June. You know, remember when we were supposedly flattening the curve? Well, given the recent spike in coronavirus cases here in the States, it looks like we're the ones who are getting flattened. Uh, please tell me it's going better up in Canada, Dustin. Yeah, uh, we're kind of in the same boat. Uh, we're taking things day by day, just making sure that we're mm -hmm. limiting the exposure to the virus through things like social distancing and mobile ordering food. Mm -hmm. Toronto just opened up our outdoor patios, which is great. It allows us to enjoy the weather. Mm -hmm. But um, we're in the summer. So with summer comes... Uh, you know, temperatures for us in the 90s, mid 90s. And it's just interesting to see what the suntans that we'll be getting from these masks and <laughs> face coverings. Yeah, yeah but. Oh, on God, I had not even <laughs> thought of that. Uh, but wow. if we're talking about actual numbers, Ontario reported the lowest number of COVID-19 cases in days with only 121 new infections. See, now that that's wonderful to hear, especially on the heels of what's going on in California. Yeah the U.S.'s most populous state and also the home of Universal Pictures, Universal Studios Hollywood theme park, as well as the original CityWalk Retail Dining and Entertainment District. Um, and the, the interesting thing, California was the first state here in the U.S. to issue a stay-at-home order back on March 19th, uh, which initially seemed to be flattening the curve in California, uh, and which is why, much the same as what was going on in Toronto, opening up outside dining, that sort of thing, uh, Governor Gavin Newsom begins allowing that state's 58 counties to begin reopening in mid-May, um, which is when the Disneyland Resort and Universal Studios Hollywood start talking about reopening. Uh, we saw the CityWalk portion of Universal Hollywood partially reopen starting on June 10th. And uh, what is it? Anaheim's downtown Disney uh, was supposed to open on July 9th with Disneyland Park and Disneyland's California Adventure opening on July 17th. But then in mid-June, California begins experience a resurgence of the coronavirus, uh, largely because individual counties had rushed to reopen for business. And mm -hmm. as a direct result, California Governor Gavin Newsom ordered a statewide mask requirement on June 18th. Uh, he also made the state's theme parks aware that the state of California would now not be issuing its theme park reopening guidelines until sometime after July 4th. Um, which is then the dominoes started to fall. So uh, I don't know if you saw the announcement on, on June 24th about how Disneyland announced it would be postponing the reopening of its theme parks, the, the two Anaheim parks, indefinitely, mm -hmm. uh, which then led to Universal Studios Hollywood, along with Knott's Berry Farm, Six Flags Magic Mountain, uh, SeaWorld San Diego, and Legoland, all uh, pushing back their openings, and they were supposed to open on July first. Uh, you know, the, the, what is it? Wednesday this week. Mm -hmm. um, so, so where does this leave California's theme park fans? Uh, 
obviously in something of a holding pattern. Um, you know, and, and in fact, Newsom's doing everything he can to control the resurgence of coronavirus over the 4th of July weekend. I don't know if you saw that he ordered the closure of all the parking lots at the state-run beaches in Southern California and the Bay Area. Sure. Uh, likewise, he ordered all indoor non-essential businesses to close in 19 of California's counties. Uh, that That's 75% of the state's population. And I have to tell you, given that my daughter Alice lives out in the Long Beach area, uh, you know, the fact that they've they've now had to go back to basically a, a lockdown that's in place for another three weeks. She is not a happy camper. Um, <laughs> well, it's it's so difficult because they saw the green light. They had that yeah. uh, mentality of we've beaten this. We we yeah. can reopen the economy is back everything is back mm. and the issue that we've seen up here is that as soon as you have that mentality you're gonna see a spike because it mm. it only takes one situation one thing where you have a large amount of people combined together there's so much that we don't know about COVID-19 information that's coming out day after day of you know how this thing is being transmitted and lessons that are being learned and I think that's something that the Southern California theme parks are really taking note of because for them it's not just hey come in and ride our rides it's not no we're here because we're part of the community and you want to make sure that you're keeping your community safe. And if that means not opening until past July, maybe into August, we'll see. Now, it's interesting you mentioned that because Legoland, California, uh, and as you were just mentioning, they cited the constantly changing coronavirus situation. Um, this past Wednesday, they announced that that San Diego area theme park couldn't possibly reopen to at least August 1st, which is now four weeks away. Mm -hmm. Um and, and now what's kind of interesting is that at Universal Studios Hollywood uh, will most likely uh, follow Legoland's lead and not also not reopen to at least Saturday, August 1st. But on the other hand, Universal Pictures, the physical uh, motion picture and production facility, which is located in the lower lot of, of Universal Studios Hollywood, that incrementally began opening for business back on July 5th, or excuse me, June 15th. Now, just to be clear here, we're not talking about every single Universal Pictures employee coming back to work. We're talking about a handful of team members, uh, each of which has been drilled about the, the studio's new safety-first approach to film and television production work. And um, you've been around, you know, again, that's the joy of living in Toronto. You get to see a lot of film and television production. In fact, looking out your window, right? You know, <laughs> uh, on, Yeah, actually, you... they were directly out our window is the distillery mm -hmm. district, uh, the historic mm -hmm. distillery district where they filmed Tommy Boy. <laughs> So Jeez. I look okay. at film crews like constantly they they were doing um, like Toronto was where they filmed the blockbuster of Pixels and and uh, Suicide Squad. Hey. I know. <laughs> but yeah, we I actually, you know, somewhere in Pixels, there's a good movie. I, you know, just it, it, I just don't think they found it, but somewhere in there, you know. You know what? Um, it was fun to see them film it, but you're completely right. When you're in a film location where there's an industry, it's a, you know, multi-million dollar industry, this is where you want to be. So, absolutely, it's it's interesting seeing how they would make it so it's it's safe, but from what what we can tell, They've gone above and beyond. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting time because again, everybody you know you know face it, 
uh, you know, film production, television production, usually a lot of, of long hours and a lot of people working in close company. And that's kind of gone on out the window. And so we're talking about a, a very, very different work environment going forward here with, you know, lots and lots of social distancing, not to mention mandatory face masks. Uh, in fact, somebody was telling me about, you know, I mean, face it, you, you've walked by enough film sets there in Toronto. You've seen a craft services table yep. where everybody goes to grab a snack in between shots and that sort of thing. That's gone, Dustin. In its place now is an app where, you know, literally you're on the set and it's like, I would like a bagel and coffee. And you pull out the app and you hit, I, you know, bagel and coffee. And then somebody from craft services who's wearing a mask and wearing gloves and brings you your food and, you know, as low touch as possible in a, a, <laughs> a brown paper bag or, you know, a little styrofoam thing delivers it to you. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, again, for, for all those folks who, who sneak snacks on a film set, uh, life just got difficult. Um, and uh, by the way, it's not just, uh, you know, in uh, Toronto or for that matter. Uh, the the four hundred acre uh, Universal uh, production facility out in Hollywood, mm -hmm. um, they've just started up uh, production again on Jurassic World Dominion. Which weren't you telling me they they were doing a good chunk of filming of that uh, in Canada? Yeah, we actually talked about it on one of our Universal Joint podcasts from, I think mm -hmm. it was in the summer of last year. We were talking about how uh, they were basically mm -hmm. going around the world to find the mm -hmm. right backdrop for this. And yeah, they did a lot of it in the southern point of British Columbia, actually about an hour uh, away from where they did some filming for uh, the Power Rangers reboot movie. Oh, very cool. Get it, that, that's... You know, I remember when it was Tron that was shot. What was it? Uh, uh, British Columbia, wasn't it? Or, oh, excuse me, Tron Legacy. My mistake. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, uh, to get back to Jurassic World Dominion, Chris Pratt just this week uh, tweeted out that, you know, they left out filming uh, or suspended filming back on March 14th, but they're now back in the U.K. beginning production again. But, it's, but it took a while to get there, I mean, you know, uh, first the cast and crew had to fly in two weeks ahead of the beginning of production and self-isolate. They had yeah. the quarantine. And uh, they then began shooting, but as part of the deal, they have to be available for constant COVID-19 testing. And if, if they come up positive, they then have to, once again, self-isolate for two weeks until they come up clean, so to speak. Yeah, and it's too, um, so too negative. So they, they're on the same mentality. And most of our, our listeners are also paying attention to the news that's out there. And one of the, the big things that's going on is the NBA's reintroduction in, in uh, the bubble in Disney World. Same mm -hmm. type of thing. They have to fly in. First off, flying into a location is very difficult right now because there's not a lot of flights. And then mm -hmm. on top of that, you have to think about the idea of not just self-quarantining for the two weeks, but being away from family and friends and everything like that, you're basically in a different location for that time period. And if you do get a positive test, that impacts not just you, but your entire production. And then you have to figure out, yeah, that two negative tests, which have to come back 24 hours of each other. So there's a lot that goes into our current situation. And if they're starting up, they must have an ironclad situation where all of the, the cast are safe, the crew is safe, and they're able to do work on a whole different level. Well, here's hoping. So, you know, the, the, the more interesting thing for me is that, um, I, you know, 
earlier on, I think we've talked about how Sam Neill was supposed to be part of Jurassic World Dominion. But what's interesting is I thought myself, uh, given you know what happened with Jeff Goldblum's uh, Ian Malcolm mm-hmm. character uh, back in Fallen Kingdom, it's like, okay, so he's in the movie. Like, he's in the movie literally for two minutes. Uh, you know, so it's like, oh, all right, so Alan Grant's back, and you know, uh, you know, what Ali Sadler and Ian Malcolm are back. So it's oh, great, another bunch of two-minute-long cameos, and it's sure. like Samuel's like, no, 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 no. He says, we are all the way through this film, Jeff, me, and Laura. So it's like, so what is the deal that the what the Chris Pratt Owen Grady character and the Bryce Howard Claire Deering character what they turned to Alan Grant and Ian Malcolm and Ellie for help in rounding up these dinosaurs that are now loose in North America? Um, I I would love to have the original cast so Sam Jeff and Laura be the employees of InGen and then have like the different groups coming together and just that's my dream where you have the different personalities from different, you know, movies coming together and just taking this thing to the whole new level. Because that's, as soon as they said they're in it the entire way through, I'm like, how do they do that? Story-wise, you have to give them something to do. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's, you know, what we could see is a return of InGen. Well, you know, again, you know, I guess we we will all know come June 11th, 2021. That's, mm-hmm. of course, if we're, we're finally being allowed to head back into theaters at that point. Yeah. Um, you know, but on the other hand, if you just can't wait to get some uh, Jurassic World-related fun, uh, I guess you could now head to Universal's Islands Adventure, where the, the raptor encounter has now relocated to the other side of the street. So it's now mm-hmm. in, what, a, a piece of the old extended queue for the Jurassic River Ride Adventure? Yeah, that opened on June fourth. Have you seen any of the the video and such for that? Yeah, it looks amazing. What I find hilarious is the fact that social distancing has made that mm-hmm. experience uh, actually better. It looks like you have the really? the more interactive experience with the the team member who's mm-hmm. there and really taking things to that next stage of interaction. I've always said that the raptor mm-hmm. encounter is one of my favorite character experiences and it's not the raptor it's that team member that team member has to be mm-hmm. almost uh, on a comedic level so far ahead of us because you never know who is going to be interacting with the raptor but blue is is still one of my favorite uh characters of jurassic world but you were saying that blue isn't the only one that we get to meet yeah yeah well evidently now when the performer who's in the blue suit Uh, has to go on break. Uh, What they do now to sort of, uh, you know, sort of slide over that moment in the show, uh, they have a Universal team member come on stage with a a, a pretty amazing hand puppet uh, of Sierra, who is supposed to be a six-month-old Velociraptor. And, Uh you know, they, they... And, you know, the, the weird thing is you go from dealing with this giant puppet that's protected you know, by foliage, you know, so you don't see the, the lower half of the human performer to suddenly, well, you know, you're as up close and personal as you can get in our age of social distancing. 
Um, but this is a pretty cool prop. From what I can tell, it looks like they've updated that um, the old uh, Triceratops, when you would go right in front of the, the, the Triceratops encounter back in the day, you would walk and there would be a team member outside just holding a baby Triceratops. And it looks oh, like they're able right. to bring that into the next generation with the technology that they have for up close mm-hmm. audio animatronics. This thing is amazing and it's so cute. Now, uh, there's been a lot made within the, the Universal fan community about the fact that when you go to this new version of the paddock for the Raptor encounter that, you know, for example, the color palette, you know, is blue, which of mm-hmm. course is the, the color palette for Jurassic World. And I want to say, is it signage or the actual team members that mentioned Jurassic World at this point? And I think it's the signage, because it's definitely the blue and the, the gray color palette, which is why mm-hmm. for the longest time, we've always thought that that next ball was going to drop, that it was going to mm-hmm. be Jurassic World coming from the west coast over to the east coast but then they decided yeah. to create the new little roller coaster out front which i don't think any have you seen anything i don't have they started construction on it i haven't seen anything about that little uh, ride that they're building ah give it time uh <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that's, <laughs> our, our, our buddy Bio-Reconstruct would, would disagree with that. Point. He would. In fact, I think, what was it, starting in June, we finally got to see track work. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I just, I have to admit, I'm, I'm still waiting to see, you know, when this thing is finally set up entirely in front of the old Jurassic uh, Park Discovery Center in there mm-hmm. on the waterfront. Um, I, you know, I'd get in face it. We're seeing some rock work done at this point. Uh, supposedly there's going to be a waterfall element. And yep. I, I, again, I want to see this once the, the planting is in place. Cause frankly, I mean, you've probably seen the exact same things I've seen. You know, the, the folks who are complaining about how you, you I guess you can look out a particular window at, uh, the Wizarding World Hogsmeade mm-hmm. and, you know, the track is like right there. All of that construction is not just like right in uh, in sight. You can actually like almost reach out and touch it. That's how close mm-hmm. it is. And my worry, I'm assuming just like any everybody else, is will that hurt the theming within the restaurants, within Hogsmeade, within all of these other areas of Islands of Adventure, which has always been incredibly well themed. I, 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 I totally get this. I really do. And I applaud the passion of theme park fans you know but at the same time it's like no wait a minute you walk into the magic kingdom and you stand there on turn of the century america and at the end of the street there's a 180 foot tall castle but that's okay with you you know just sort of like but the but the 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 roller coaster that you can see out the side of the 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 restaurant you know is is offensive but at the same time the flying hippogriff is charming. It's yeah. just sort of like, I, yeah, all right, you know, I, I, I guess for me, I, it's one of these things where it's like, pick your battles, all right? You know, it's not, is that really what's going to upset you? You know, because I got a giant green Hulk-shaped thing that, that screams at me every time I walk over to, you know, Marvel Superhero Island, you know, and it's like, and that that doesn't bug me, but... Yeah, well, did, did um, they have Wi-Fi in Adventureland and the, you know, the things that we talk about as theme park fans, uh, it takes things to a next level, but uh, when they were talking about how big this coaster mm-hmm. 
is and how much of an impact it's going to be on the skyline of Islands of Adventure. That's where my theme park brain goes, where it's like, where are they going to put all this foliage? How are they going to replant Jurassic Park and Jurassic World? I'm just so excited to see how they're going to repopulate this island with foliage you know i'm I, i'm you know it's one of these moments i'm, I'm embarrassed because i'm blanking the name of the the wonderful member of the universal creative team who used to be a former imagineer guy worked in the simpsons i'm, I'm having a brain fart but anyway i remember standing with this guy uh he was the, the gentleman who was in charge of skull island reign of kong Mm-hmm. And we were standing in front of the attraction, and it was one of these things where we looked up just as the pterodactyl flyers, pterodon flyers, whatever those yep. are. Uh, and the thing is, you can stand in front of uh, Kong and see that circling nearby. He's like, look, theming. You know, it's, it's <laughs> like, I deliberately designed this entrance so you could see dinosaurs. And there were dinosaurs in this island. Aren't I clever? You know, so it's like sometimes it works for you and yep. sometimes it doesn't. You know, so it's just sort of like, all right. So luck of the draw, you know, in order to get this new coaster in place, which will energize uh, Jurassic World, possibly Jurassic Park. We don't know. Uh, you know, that that's this is what's going to happen. And it's just sort of uh, for me, I want to wait till the theming's in place. I want to yep. wait till the. The, the horticulture gets in there and plants everything up and then we give it a year or so to grow you know at that point if i can see it then i'll complain you know at this point um to be honest i have other things to be concerned about like for example the layoff that happened uh at at the universal orlando resorts just two weeks after they reopened mm-hmm. um and again we've been talking constantly during the show folks about uh, coronavirus, COVID nineteen, but this this is one of the the prices we're paying right now. That um, again, remember, you know that the the Universal Parks are owned by NBC Universal, which in turn is owned by uh, Comcast. And according to Kurt Vonnegut, it, 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 what everything it, 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 Comcast is then owned by the Ramjack Corporation, right? You know, which owns everything. <laughs> Um, but anyway, that that they after looking at the books for two weeks. You know, with the new social distancing in place and the limited capacity of the parks, it's like, ooh, this is how much money we're going to make from the parks for a while now. And it's like, we can't keep the same headcount that we're keeping, you know, or that we have in place now. And they had, they turned to the resort and basically told them, you know, these are the numbers of cuts you have to make. And Universal Orlando spokesman Tom Schroeder, a great guy, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he got saddled with being the one who had to make this announcement. And he said, We have made the difficult decision to reduce our parks and resorts workforce across multiple locations and business units. This decision was not made lightly, but was necessary to prepare us for the future. Uh, We are working to structure and strengthen our business for the future in anticipation of the tourism industry taking time to fully recover. So, and you were just mentioning uh, us prior to recording here that the the ramification with uh, live entertainment at the park, right? Blue Man Group? Yeah, so Cirque du Soleil bought the Blue Man Group before COVID-19 hit. All of a sudden, COVID shuts down all of these large entertainment venues and large gatherings. So layoffs were imminent. So what happened was Cirque du Soleil cut a huge percentage of their workforce because having a touring show like a Cirque show takes a lot of time, effort, and manpower because you have 
Blue Man Group that have residencies in Orlando as well as in Vegas. It's a little bit of a different story, but they fall under the same company. So when the company's hurting, you're going to see this level of response where it's like, we can't have people on payroll. We can't have entertainers because they're not entertaining anyone right now. Do we know what's going to happen when the theaters reopen? You know, I'm hoping that things will go back to a somewhat normal uh, sense, but they're all part of the same industry of putting on a show in front of large gatherings of people. Yeah, I'm, it's, I don't know. I mean, you know, this kind of brings us back to, you know, what Mr. Schroeder put out there. You know, the, the question of when will Florida's tourism industry fully recover? I mean, mm -hmm. you know, back on the 16th of this year, uh, Universal Orlando, literally a day ahead of, you know, the official opening of, of the Dockside and the Suites, which, you know, the second half of the Endless Summer Resort, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that they announced that, that they were postponing the opening. And um, for me, where this got interesting is just this past Thursday, July 2nd, uh, the Universal Orlando Resort uh, announced that it would be offering its annual pass holders special hotel and ticket packages for this year's Halloween Horror Nights, which is supposed to run from September 10th through November 1st on 40 select nights. Mm -hmm. Now, this I personally found fascinating because, you know, face it, for a lot of us who, when Disney back on June 24th announced that this year they were canceling, I mean, not reducing the number of dates, but outright canceling the 2020 edition of Mickey's Not So Scary, uh, which was going to run 36 nights or 36 select nights, excuse me, from August 13th through October 31st. And but here's Universal. You know, it's like not only, uh, you know, are they they going forward with uh, you know Halloween Horror Nights, but they're actually offering the special hotel ticket package to their annual pass holders. Mm -hmm. And what was interesting for me was that as I was looking over the list of the hotels, here's a package for the Dockside Inn and Suites, uh, which is being offered for just $65 a person per night uh, based on a family of four. Uh, so A, that means Dockside Inn and Suites will be open no later than September 10th of this year. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, it, and, and, and by the way, you know, that, that uh, what is it, the, the special perks associated with this hotel uh, ticket package, special commemorative pin honoring the 30th year of the event, uh, dedicated entry gate. Now, mind you, that'll only be open until 8 o'clock at night, but if you're in this hotel, uh, you know, a ticket package, you can skip the line and go straight into the event. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you want to stay at some of the higher-end hotels on, on property, uh, we've got the Lowell's uh, Royal Pacific. Uh, that starts at $95 a night. Uh, Hard Rock Hotel, uh, it's 105 at night. And then Portofino, 105 but again that's per person per night based on a family of four so do the math folks um but I, here's what kind of makes me crazy about this so we were mm -hmm. talking earlier about everything that's going on in california and here's governor newsom you know trying his damnedest to to you know to flatten the curve yet again uh in california but let's look at the state of florida where today saturday july 4th the state of Florida reported 11,458 new cases of COVID-19. Um, and, and to put that in perspective, Dustin, that's the second highest number of daily cases that a state has reported 
since the beginning of the pandemic here in the United States. New York, back in April, had one day when they had more new cases. Uh, They had 11,571 new cases in one day in mid-April, and that's literally just 113 more than Florida experienced today, reported today. And you know, we're, you know, and so here's Governor Newsom moving decisively, closing beaches, mm-hmm. issuing a stay-at-home order, and here's Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida, who keeps saying things like the state is no is not going back. That you know, uh, and this is in the face of Corona cases surging 46 percent in Florida over the past week, uh, but he's not going to stop that state from reopening. Um, and this this just kind of kills me because. Just this week, we got an announcement out of Universal Studios Japan, and you've got to be seeing the same things I've seen. Those amazing videos from a distance. <laughs> oh, they look so cool. Land. Yeah. They look amazing. You know, I mean, wonderful kinetics, amazing detail. But, you know, but the, the Universal Studios Japan, it feels like they, they have a responsibility to the larger community. Yeah. So they've been reopened. In fact, here's the fascinating Japanese take on how to reopen a theme park. They reopened on June 19th with limited capacity for their annual pass holders and is, as well as the residents of Osaka, the, the city in the immediate vicinity of the theme park, and nobody else. Nobody else can get in, you know, because they want to behave in a socially responsible manner. Mm-hmm. Whereas Governor DeSantis of Florida, look, I, I know there are tens of thousands of people who work in tourism and themed entertainment who are unemployed right now, and they have my sympathies. They really do. But of the 21 million people who live in Florida right now, 19.1% of them, some 4.2 million, are 65 and older. And COVID-19 is just laying waste to that population group. And, and this is what's making you know, the folks at Disney and Universal very, very nervous. If the rate of infection, of coronavirus infection, continues to climb in Florida. First of all, who's going to want a vacation in that state? And, and more to the point, Dustin, talk about how you can't even leave Canada right now. That's uh, it's true. Uh, borders been closed for a while now, and it looks like things aren't going to be moving all that quickly coming back. But let's be honest, even if the borders were open, would we still want to vacation in Florida with this type of a thing going on? If you open your state, people will come. Mm-hmm. That's fine. And Florida, just like uh, Central California, they all have things that people want to go and see. But we're talking about a situation where is it necessary is is going to a a theme park or up here like going to a a bar or going to a a theater you can only control your own exposure to this uh this virus in a situation where you're being placed in a set in a line very close to somebody else you don't know how they're taking this virus seriously so i don't know what's going to happen well, Len was saying when he visited the Universal Park, in fact, he, he went in the past week or so to experience the, the, the newborn suntacular. He was saying, you know, he was seeing 100% mass compliance. He was seeing it yes. with the team members. He was seeing it with the, the you know, uh, the guests in the park. So it, at least there's that. Um, but face it, you know, in theory, the only people who are at Universal right now 
our residents of Florida. You know that that you know that in, in fact you know that was the whole thinking about reopening these theme parks was that you know all of these people in Florida who were have been sheltering in place you know they should be among the first to get to go back to these parks and then phase three phase four phase five <laughs> you know we we reopen to the public and well uh, i i think anyway. we're we're at this point right now where people should go and watch one of my favorite episodes of the magic mm. school bus called inside ralphie where they go and show you how ralphie who's a character of this beloved um amazing tv series gets sick and how your body reacts to it and there's a reason we're talking about Magic School Bus, which we'll get to in a sec. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back. Um, uh, just before the break there, Dustin was talking about Magic School Bus, and there was a reason that he was talking about. Now, this was the animated series, right? The one that Lily Tomlin did the voice of, Miss Frizzle? Yeah, the show came out in 1994. Right. I was kind of stunned to see that that show was so you know first of all it, it, it was the longest running science program i guess in in television history it ran 18 consecutive seasons mm-hmm. on pbs uh was then translated uh, you know into different languages because so it could be shown in 100 different countries and in turn there were some 80 million books related to the show published um but I get, you know, and that's the thing. It's like, that's wonderful. But it's just like just this past week, we saw the announcement that Universal Pictures uh, is teaming with, I want to say, Elizabeth Banks to produce a magic school bus movie. And in fact, um, Elizabeth Banks is not only producing the film, she's going to play Mrs. Frizzle. So, or Ms. Frizzle, excuse me. I, I get how, you know, again, we, we learned how Ralphie, we went inside of Ralphie and saw him with a, a virus. I just, I don't know how... We're going to get a two-hour-long theatrical film out of this, but hey, they could surprise me. There's just so much that they've learned in science and in history and everything like that that going into a live-action version of this, it's that next uh, step in bringing our childhood into that next you know generation. And Magic School Bus hit Netflix. I think that was the real change, of course, for this because a lot of people started to realize what this uh this tv show was all about now you're talking about what the the magic school bus rides again the one that kate mckinnon is now what is it she's she's not even playing miss frizzle she's playing her miss frizzle's sister fiona i i again something i gotta get around to watching at some point um i i and something i guess i'll eventually get around to watching um did you see this announcement about universal rebooting twister Oh no, I didn't. I no. Um, yeah, yeah. So. Uh, this is the the the, the infamous. I mean, don't get me wrong. I actually enjoyed this in theaters. The, the, the sure. And the bonus, I want to say, 
but the behind-the-scenes stories are, are amazing. I guess, what is it, Helen Hunt and Bill Paxton, they absolutely hated each other, and it was a, a brutal, uh, you know, because so many of the effects had to be done practically, you know, lots of standing in front of wind machines, having things hurled at you in rain, and just did not sound like a lot of fun. Do you remember um, the story of how they, they had to have the, the actors, Bill and, and Helen, um, there because it was the Twister franchise, but they never wanted to be filmed in the same studio or anything. So they were always on two separate screens. Yeah, the, the, they, 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 they literally had them on two different monitors on two different sides of the room. And more to the point, I, I remember talking with somebody because the interesting you got to remember this was an expensive movie to make. So yes, uh, Amblin actually went to both Universal and Warner Brothers to put up the money for this. And I want to say Universal released it domestically while Warner Brothers handled it overseas. And given that the movie made like four hundred seventy-five million dollars back in nineteen ninety-six, this was a huge hit for everybody involved. Yep. So uh, there was a sequel developed, and it, mind you, it had a very weird, dumb premise, and the idea basically was that for, instead of Twister, this was Twisters with an S, and they were supposed to set down in, rather than out in the countryside and send cows flying through the air, uh, it was supposed to set down in a municipal environment. I, I want to say Oklahoma City or something to that effect. And the idea was that, well, what would it be like if you know you had you know you know the the F five you know roll into you know a, you know a mall or a zoo you know never mind cows flying around. It's the follow up for you Jurassic know. Park. How they brought the yeah. the um the dinosaurs into uh, where is that San Diego and it's just like oh yeah. I guess we're doing this now yeah so anyway but again Helen and Bill hated each other so much and they needed their participation so it never went anywhere but uh, the sequel uh, actually it's being uh, they're they're courting Joseph Kaczynski uh, mm -hmm. who Disney fans will remember did the directed Tron Legacy and I guess one of the reasons they're pursuing him for this job is the uh, what is it Top Gun uh, oh Maverick Long in the Works Seek Maverick Top Gun Maverick uh, evidently turned out really really well so that they're, they're after him on the heat of that film can you come do this uh, this reboot and what's interesting is Frank Marshall who drew you know uh, helped produce the original film for Amblin is back on board and mm -hmm. uh, coincidentally for something we'll be talking about shortly he's also the producer of the Bourne Stuntacular uh, let's see what else oh uh, Colin Trevorrow we were just talking about him or at least the film that he's working on right now, uh, Jurassic World Dominion. Uh, he's lined up his follow-up project once production of this finally wraps. And uh, it's a thriller based on the mythical city of Atlantis uh, that Universal not only wants to produce, but it also wants to distribute. Had kind of a different take on this, Dustin. It's not mm -hmm. the you know city that sank beneath uh, the sea's surface, never to be seen again. It's literally going to be about a lost continent that somehow has been sitting out in the middle of the Indian Ocean between Africa, India, and Oceania, and nobody's noticed it up until this point. Um, which brings a lot of interesting questions about you know are, 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 are they getting their technology from Wakanda you know that how exactly do you hide a continent I, I'm worried uh, because you know you know Google 
I always thought I trusted Google Maps. I guess not. Yeah, well, maybe, you know, maybe Atlantis is, is, is slipping him a few bucks. But anyway, <laughs> uh, production designer of this film, uh, Kevin Jenkins, also worked with Colin on uh, Star Wars uh, Episode Nine. Uh, it's also working with him right now on Jurassic World Dominion. So at least we know it's going to look good. I just mm-hmm. wonder about the story. Um, anyway, okay, so we were just talking about the Bourne Stuntacular, which uh, finally, after a couple of weeks of, of tech rehearsals and soft openings, uh, finally opened earlier this week on June 30th. Uh, and you were mentioning, Dustin, um, you've been sort of eyeballing this project on uh, YouTube and thereabouts. What do you think of what you've seen? The stunts are great. The The technology behind it. It's exactly what that that movie franchise needs. It needs a stunt mm-hmm. show. It needs a place where you can see true fun and excitement and story. The only thing that I'll, I'll say, and I, I, I'm not the first one to say it, but the movie franchise is incredibly valuable to the Universal brand because it's theirs. They, the the old Terminator experience that was there, it wasn't there. So when you look at something like Born, it'll take a little bit of time to really get back to the audience. But honestly, if the attraction is good, it doesn't matter about the movies. People will go to see the talent of the the actors, the skill and the technology there. And from what I've seen from YouTube, and I know YouTube is not the place to go, but borders are closed. So... I have to get what I can, but I was hoping to be down there when this opened, uh, at least within the first couple of weeks, but it looks like a distinct improvement over Terminator, and it works within that segment of the the theme park. Well, no, it's interesting you bring up the the IP thing, because you can actually track this show decision from um you know the when uh nbc universal bought dreamworks animation uh, back in april of 2016 they paid 3.8 billion and the word came down from comcast it's like okay we've just paid all of this money because we've, we've put out this much money to acquire dreamworks we don't want to be paying licensing fees you know going forward for theme park attractions you know we would like going forward our you know, stuff that's in the Universal Parks based on Universal-owned IPs. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, we saw the Florida version of Terminator open in back in October of 2016, and that's where, uh, you know, the Bourne thing got developed. And, uh, you know, I'm old, so I remember back when the Bourne, you know, there were just Bourne books. In fact, I mm-hmm. uh, I want to say my, my, my old pal Rato Lichtensteiger was the one who inter- introduced me to the Bourne identity back in 1980. Uh, which was a doorstop of a book, you know, I mean, uh, and but enjoyable. So there was a second in the series, The Bourne Supremacy, which came out in 86, and the third and mm-hmm. final of the original trilogy, uh, The Bourne Ultimatum, came out in 1990. Um, now, Robert Ledlam dies in March of uh, 2001. He's 73. And the Ledlam estate decides at this point uh, that they want to continue the Bourne series. Uh, you know, following Robert's death. So they hire Eric Van Lusterbad? Lusbatter, there we go. And the first of the Van Lusbatter Born books come out in 2004. He goes on to write 12 of them. Uh, and I guess, you know, he was in the middle 
of writing uh, the board nemesis uh, back in 2019 and it's just like I don't want to do this anymore <laughs> and just walked away it's, it's it's kind of interesting that evidently that that manuscript is half finished will never be published uh, but the Ludlum estate then hires Brian Friedman to continue the book series and he his first book uh, came out earlier this year the born evolution anyway to get back to the original born trilogy the first book born identity has been adapted twice. Uh, first time was a TV movie starring <laughs> you. The, the, yet again, you can tell this was a TV movie from 1988 because it stars Richard Chamberlain and Jacqueline uh, Jacqueline Smith. So it's like you can't get <laughs> much more 1980s than that. Uh, yeah. And then we got the, the the live action film starring Matt Damon, the first of which came out in 2002. Which again, remember, uh, you know Frank Marshall, you know helped produce and was so successful we got a sequel to born supremacy in 2004 followed by the born ultimatum in 2007 um matt opts out of appearing in the fourth film uh the born legacy which hits theaters in 2012 they bring in jeremy renner uh for that installment he doesn't play jason Bourne, but an entirely new character aaron cross uh some sort of a department of defense operative uh, Matt returns for a fifth installment of the series, Jason Bourne, in 2016. And uh, then just last year, we got Treadstone, right, from the world of Jason Bourne. Uh, mm -hmm. It was a television series on, on USA Network, uh, debuted in s September of 2019, and sadly didn't catch on. So canceled after just one episode, or excuse me, one season and 10 episodes. Um but anyway, we were talking about Terminator 2, 3D, Battle Across Time. And as I mentioned, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, that shut down in October of 2017. And, you know, face it, the thinking was that, you know, here we have this place that's been a stunt show forever. Mm -hmm. And that we should put a stunt show back in where you know a stunt show was uh, likewise if you remember terminator 2 3d it, it featured live performers interacting with physical props uh that then uh moved in front of projected footage i mean how many of you remember the moment when you know the terminator comes through the screen on that giant motorcycle and, come with me if you want to live um, <laughs> you know so yeah. You know, it was, it was, you know, uh, back in the day when this debuted in 1996, it was, it was very impressive. And, and right up to the end, it, it had some cool effects. But, mm -hmm. you know, anyone who's been following um, the Disney Gallery, the Mandalorian series over at Disney Plus, you've seen a lot of uh, stories about the volume, the, the, the place that they shoot. Uh, you know, they do so many amazing things that you'd swear are on location and they're, they're no they're on a sound stage they make use of this amazing wraparound screen and what's interesting is universal creative has taken that very same technology and rid it big i mean it's, you're talking about uh it's 22 feet tall i want to mm -hmm. say and it's made up of 500 individual screens that stretch over 100 feet um, and what's amazing is that uh, this production, which is, is uh, according to the folks at Universe Creator, based in, on characters and circumstances from the Jason Bourne film franchises, uh, features action on stage. You know, the, you know, I mean, have you seen, for example, the fight scene in front of the crowd? Yeah, um, and it, it looks 
pretty seamless. And, you know, there, there's yeah. another scene that as the the screen is moving you can you can see a piece of set if you're in the right uh you know frame and it's just like if you're not sitting in that one seat i don't think you would see it it's that mm -hmm. enhanced and honestly when you're looking at the fact that the background becomes just another thing that the the stunt actors can play on i think that was a huge win oh no no absolutely and and there's so much cutting-edge tech. I, I, for example, there are eight moving set pieces in this show. These are eight set pieces that move by themselves. You know, that, that at their, get their computerized queue on the show, they come on stage, uh, and when they are done, they go, not only do they go backstage, but they go back to their charging station. And, you know, <laughs> so they're ready for the very next performance that they're, they're charging up. Um, I wish my iPhone I, would do that. I wish my toaster would do that. <laughs> um, anyway, okay, so, and, and what's interesting, you know, for example, uh, you know, the, one of the, the, the set pieces that shows up a lot in footage that's out there, in, you know, uh, for the Born Centacular is this fight on a, a, a tower that, that mm -hmm. also gets taken out by an explosion. And Len was talking about how he was in the audience, you know, watching this thing, this particular moment in the show. And what they do, uh, it's something he'd never experienced in a, a Disney theme park uh, show before, is that there's a moment during the fight on stage where the tower moves because the fight is moving to the other side of the tower. But mm -hmm. not only does the tower move, but the footage behind the screen moves in sync as if you know, you're watching this fight from a helicopter. And Len was talking about that moment that he, he literally had to grip his seat because his brain was telling him because the tower moving and the screen was moving, he was moving. And it's just sort of like that, that, that you have that sort of illusion, uh, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know that, that they give that sort of you know, feeling to the audience. It's sort of going to be interesting to see. You know, in addition to the please keep social distancing, and you know, by the way, if you you get motion sickness, here's a bag. Um, yeah. But don't touch that either. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, and, and interesting thing to to uh, obviously, I guess there had been conversations early on about could could they get Matt to come back, and uh, the answer turned out to be no. Uh, but they did get Julia Stiles, who's been mm -hmm. in a couple of the the Bourne films, to come shoot footage for the pre-show. Uh, and it, it's been kind of interesting. I don't know if you've seen any of the uh, actual performances or thereabouts, but uh, all of the, the team members who work the show and, and, you know, a lot of the performers who appear on stage are also wearing masks. So, um, you know, everything, you know, everyone's doing their, their COVID-19 related part right now. Um, and, you know, I, I think... Between, you know, it's hard to select from having watched a bunch of different uh, versions, you know, which, by the way, weren't supposed to be shot. <laughs> so, you know, there were constant things from Universal. Please don't take photos. Please don't take videos. And, yeah. and again, theme park bloggers, you got to love them. <laughs> it's like, I'm sorry. I, I saw your lips moving. I, I don't understand what you say. Um, <laughs> but they have this amazing footage of the cars coming up out of the, the basement, rotating in a high-speed chase. Uh, yeah. that they sell strictly on the back of, you know, how these cars move interacting with the footage. It's just amazing, cutting-edge stuff and in a, in, a, in, a, in a totally appropriate way, a wonderful follow-up to, you know, in much the same way the Terminator 2 3D Battle Across Time was cutting-edge in 96, the Bourne Stuntacular 
is you know just as cutting edge if not more so for 2020 so again dustin when they they finally open up the borders and allow you to head south uh, i'm gonna love to hear from you uh you know well, you know, what this show is like in person. Absolutely. What better way to start a, a day at Universal Studios than rope dropping the Born Stuntacular with a voodoo donut in hand? I will say this, though. I think in the Jason Bourne world, rope drop means an entirely different thing. So you know, maybe, <laughs> just saying. Okay, yeah. anyway, uh, but but that's a while off. So in between... What are you doing with your, your, your various podcasts? It's, you know, what's going on yep, there? Yep, so I'm over at StepsTheMagic.com, Disney and Universal trip planning, top 10 lists, fun facts, all that other stuff. Um, the We Like Theme Parks podcast is still going strong, so lots of content. They're doing two shows a week. But to be honest, I've been listening to a lot of uh, your shows. And got to admit, my favorite show that's come out over the last little bit was when um, you guys got to talk with Josh Gad. That was an amazing Thank show. That well, nobody was more amazed or surprised than I. I mean, I I, I interviewed Josh. I mean, since I, I you know we've been conversational since back in 2013, but I had no idea it was coming on the show. And more to the point, I, I don't think Josh knew. He thought he was dropping in to say hello, and you know, <laughs> like a half hour later, you know, just walking at the door, and we've beaten him senseless and asked all of these questions. And it's a very sweet guy. Uh, gonna really appreciate him coming on the show, but yeah, the, I, I I was that was all Drew's doing. I was you know I, I, I shocked and surprised myself, but um, but at the same time, uh, you know, I feel like Len's doing some amazing work on site with Laurel. He and uh, you know for the Bandcamp exclusive shows for Disney Dish, they have been mm-hmm. you know visiting all of the DVCs and uh, you know taking a look at you know what Disney's like after it's been closed for three months. Uh, and, you know, uh, you know, on the other hand, uh, Aaron Adams and I are going to be recording our first uh, marvelous Disney podcast in a while. And poor Adam, uh, you know, I, I, I guess Johnny Storm visited an apartment, you know, a couple over from his. Oh, yeah, I heard that there was a fire at his complex. Uh, so, you know, thank goodness, you know, but, but again, you know, what I love about the way Aaron tells the story and of course, it was apartment unit 2020 that caught on fire, <laughs> which is entirely in theme for the way this year has gone. Uh, and, you know, looking at Lucasfilm, uh, Dan Z and I are you know, going to get back on the horse later this week, get a new show out the door. In fact, and then the very next thing I'm going to be doing is uh, tomorrow I'm recording a new fine tuning with Drew Taylor and then. Uh, Michelle Valladolid and I are going to start talking about, you know, the, the uh, do a new, a new I want that because the interesting thing is that, in fact, I don't think we mentioned this as part of the early of the show. Downtown Disney in Anaheim, well, the theme park, we don't know when the, the two Disney theme parks are going to open up. Um, the dining and retail uh, opens on July 9th. But, you know, on the heels of you know, what is it? Newsom sh- shutting down bars and outside dining. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't just don't know what that's going to be like. But again, so long story short, we've, we've, we've got some shows coming up over there. And I tell you what, folks, if you could do Dustin and I a favor, 
if you, you could uh, head over to iTunes and not only say nice things about Universal Joint, but likewise, we like theme parks, uh, that would be helpful. Also, uh, if you really, really, really like what you're listening to here today, if you could head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be helpful. And likewise, you, you, you get these amazing shows that Len and Laurel are doing on site. In fact, I think today... They're doing a walk around a Wilderness Lodge. And, okay, Dustin, social media. If folks are looking to follow you, where can they find you? Yeah, I'm just over at uh, Instagram, uh, Steps to Magic, and Dustin Foose. Oh, cool, cool. All right, uh, let's see. Twitter and Instagram, uh, we're in that space is Jim Hill Media. If you go over to Facebook, we are Jim Hill Media News. And I guess I will do it for now, folks. And again, I apologize for it being six weeks between shows. That will not happen again. Uh, Dustin and I will be back with a brand new show in two weeks' time. Or he will come over the per- the border. And remember, New Hampshire and Canada are relatively close. Uh, exactly. Break my legs. So you know, we'll, we'll be back <laughs> with a new show. I promise. Uh, and until then, thanks for listening. And we'll be back soon.